in my experience, what I think is happening is that marketing and sales are kind of moving away and losing sight of what they have in common, which is we both want customers. We're both trying Mm -hmm. to grow the business and get customers or keep customers happy. And so I knew if I wanted to be successful in this role, I really had to build a good relationship with the sales team. And Mm so I asked to attend sales process training. And so I show up to the sales training and the trainer was like, what marketing? I can't remember the last time we had a marketer in sales training. And the whole, my, my entire sales team is looking at me like, why are you here? And I said, you guys, we want the same thing. We're both trying to get customers. I can help you be successful in this. And once we kind of came to that realization that we're just going about things in a different way, we started building a really great relationship and I could speak their language. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Stacy Danheiser. Stacy is the CEO and founder of Shake Marketing Group based in South Florida, and she's the co-author of Standout Marketing and Valueology. After nearly 15 years in marketing leadership at various Fortune 500 companies, Stacy started Shake Marketing Group to help B2B organizations shift from product pushing to consumer focused. Stacy also hosts Soar Marketing Society, which is a private community for B2B marketers who want to elevate their skills, impact, and careers. Stacy, welcome to the show. Right. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do that wasn't covered in that intro? Yes, yeah. So, so I actually started my career in uh, B2C marketing. I worked for a couple of really large firms, and so I got my feet wet managing multi-million dollar budgets and running TV commercials and radio ads and kind of fully integrated campaigns on the consumer side. And then I switched after about six years into the B2B side, and there was a lot of differences that I noticed, but I ended up loving the B2B side. It was, it was definitely more complex not as fast paced as the consumer world. And I really loved kind of the relationship aspect between the marketing and the sales function. And so, you know, when I first started my career, I didn't know if I wanted to go into marketing or sales. And so I felt like B2B was a great avenue to do both. So, mm-hmm. so I, I did that for a while and have since started a consultancy, as you mentioned, specifically aimed at B2B organizations to help them really tune into their customers. I feel like a lot of organizations are kind of getting away from the customer and and look kind of internally at their own organization rather than kind of losing sight of what's happening out there with the customers. So that's mm-hmm. really our mission and our focus and to help marketers remember what their key role is, which is to be the voice of the customer internally and to really play that role so that they can elevate their own credibility and gain confidence internally. Stacy, <laughs> do you ever miss B2C marketing and feel like you might go back someday? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do have a couple of clients who are on the B2C side, so I do get to experience that there. But I, I, what I missed initially from going from B2C to um, B2B was the creativity. I think in mm-hmm. consumer, we were really, we had a lot of freedom to 
test new things and do new things. And we didn't have to get, you know, approval from 55 people internally to go do something versus in B2B, it was longer. And I was like, well, we have six months to plan something. This feels like a luxury. And it took Mm -hmm. me a while to, to get used to that slower pace compared to the, the consumer world. Yeah. I do hear you though on the complexity of B2B makes things more interesting because you typically have sales cycles where you need, let's say MQLs to come in the door and then get them to SQL and then get them into the CRM and then they go through a different sales process. So I do like the fact that there's a continuum with B2B, there's a continuum between marketing and sales and there's a whole complex multi-step journey that most prospects go through and they need different marketing assets at every different touch point down that journey. And I think that's the benefit of B2B it's, that makes it more interesting. One thing that I do like more about B2C is just the sheer scale of it also, that you yeah. don't get as much with B2B. So you can, you have access to much, much larger audiences because they're consumer audiences. And that also mm-hmm. gives you more data and just generally more scale to have yeah. more data to play with. So these are the trade-offs in my book. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think you get very quick feedback in consumer, right? You, can, yeah. you put something mm-hmm. out there and you know right away if it's working or not. Yeah. Sometimes in B2B, it takes a while because the sales cycles are so long. You might have something running for six, 12, 18 months before you finally start to see results. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we all have, we're all impatient and it's easy to pull the plug too early on something because we're not seeing those immediate results that we're expecting. Yeah. I'd like to talk about the relationship between marketing and sales. And you've got a lot of experience with this. I think that today we're in a world where I, I believe the best marketing and sales organizations are the ones that are blurring the lines between them and where marketing people also have incentives, where marketing and sales have the same incentives and the same goals, perhaps even bonus or being compensated in an overlapping way. Uh, I'm I'm curious as to your opinion. You you mentioned about marketing and sales not always speaking the same language. And there's a concept, I believe, in, in your book about five key competencies to stand out in a sea of marketing sameness. But when you refer to different languages spoken by marketing and sales, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think one of them you mentioned, which is the goals, right? Are marketing and sales aligned toward the same goals? And often, you know, they're thinking about things a little bit differently. So you have marketing who is thinking mass market versus sales is thinking, you know, individual customers. You have marketing thinking long term, right? What are we doing for the rest of the year versus sales is like, I got to hit my number this month. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, marketing is typically oriented. They're especially in B2B removed from the customer. So they're like pushing products, a little bit more product oriented, a little bit tying into goals of what the organization is trying to achieve. Whereas from a sales standpoint, they're all, they're representing the customer, right? And this is what my customer needs. And how can we nuance this? And can we create a new product? Can we create a new offer? Well, can we get a discount, right? And they're kind of coming at it from a from a customer standpoint. In my experience, what I think is happening is that marketing and sales are kind of moving away and losing sight of what they have in common, which is we both want customers. We're both trying mm-hmm. to grow the business and get customers or keep customers happy. And you know, just sort of a quick story when I when I went over to the B two B side, I asked to go attend sales training. I realized very quickly early on that the sales organization really at the company I was working at drove the bus. They had a lot more influence than the marketing team did. And so I knew if I wanted to be successful in this role, I really had to build a good relationship with the sales team. And it needed to expand beyond, you know, what can marketing do for me today? I need a piece of collateral. I need you to plan an event, right? I need you to help me with a presentation or an email. And so mm-hmm. I asked to attend sales process training. And so I show up to the sales training and the trainer was like, what marketing? I can't remember the last time we had a marketer in sales training. And the whole, my, my entire sales team is looking at me like, why are you here? 
And I said, you guys, we want the same thing. We're both trying to get customers. I can help you be successful in this. And once we kind of came to that realization that we're just going about things in a different way, they're looking kind of short term and what can they do this month? And I'm trying to plan their pipeline, you know, for the year. We started building a really great relationship and I could speak their language. So now I understood kind of the buying journey from the customer side, but also the sales process and how that fits together into the puzzle. So Mm-hmm. that's the piece, you know, when I say that there's different languages, it's just the the way that they're thinking about things is a little bit different. Teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I tend to think now that because, well, the, the ad technologies are getting more and more sophisticated and at least in, with, with digital marketing, in many cases, it is possible to track a user's journey from the very first ad click all the way through to the, to the first payment, let's say. So it's a, it's fairly seamless. And I think that that also facilitates marketing and sales being able to get better aligned on on common goals because if my marketing leads can be tracked all the way through the CRM to to real revenue then the right way to do it is to make that my goal as a marketer to bring in the kind of leads that are not going to fall out of the funnel but they're, they're going to make it all the way through and become paying customers and yeah. so I think there are new opportunities now to merge really merge these and I think also a big aspect of this is tying the, the compensation plans of both marketing and sales to something not matching them identically but at least having marketing partially compensated on revenue and maybe even having sales partially compensated on lead, on lead generation because that would give them more motivation to to provide feedback on messaging and things like that. I, I really yeah. think some of the best guidance on messaging and positioning will come from the sales people as they're the ones mm-hmm. that are spending the most time talking to actual prospects and, and future customers and hearing the voice of the customer and the pain point. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's yeah. surprising. I mean, we've done research for a couple of our books and just, you know, trying to have the pulse on this gap between the two organizations, the number of marketers that invite sales into content planning or campaign planning are very small. Mm-hmm. And it's surprising because it seems like it would be an easy invitation to extend mm-hmm. And that you would want to get that perspective versus what I hear a lot of is marketing put together this thing. They want me to go promote it as a seller. I'm not promoting it. I don't even know what this is. I don't agree with it. The timing's off. Don't understand it. And so you have this completely broken chain because there's no buy-in. There's no buy-in from that, from the sales organization on what marketing just put together. So I think the other piece of that kind of the language barriers, marketing has created a lot of their own jargon Mm -hmm. and these words and terms are thrown around internally. And it's assumed that everybody knows what these things mean. I've done a ton of workshops on this and everybody has like their, their own lens that they view these words through. And getting just, that's like step one, really basic is just getting alignment on, well, what do we mean when we say value? What actually is the value that we're providing to customers? And do we agree on that? Yeah. Right. What is our value proposition? And do we agree on that? I mean, I, I found, cause I do um, customer research and, and I always interview a lot of the, the sellers and the business side. There's always a gap between what people perceive internally and what customers are saying. And so the question is, well, who owns this value proposition and how do we communicate that to the market? Mm-hmm. And so how do we get alignment? Because if we can't tell the story internally, we, certainly our customers are, who knows what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Great. Another thing that comes out, I believe in the book is about marketers, in your opinion, marketers skipping some steps and not always acting in the most strategic way possible. What do you mean? What steps are most marketers skipping today and how can they act more? strategically? Yes. Well, I have like a little framework. I can share it. When I work with organizations, what I find is that everybody, like if this is the framework and step seven is execute, that everybody Mm -hmm. wants to start at step seven. And what happens is they're skipping research. That's a big one. So 
you know, I always recommend like starting with an audit, figuring out what's working, what's not. At minimum, you should be doing this once a year when you're when you're looking at your activity, right? But ideally, you're doing this kind of on a quarterly basis to figure out what we sh- where we should be focusing, what's working. Is this, this audit is that done on the past campaigns, like at a campaign level? I, yeah, it's done. It's done not only on a campaign level, but also on content aligned with the buyer's journey. There's kind of a few different things that I look at. One is goals. So just starting at a very high level, what are the marketing goals? And is it, you know, a lot of, I find that a lot of marketing budgets are being spent on new customer acquisition. Almost mm-hmm. nothing is spent on kind of that cross-sell, upsell. And then customers are almost ignored kind of in that retention loyalty phase yeah. until something happens economically. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, COVID, oh my gosh, we need to go preserve the base. You know, then that's when we all got 400 messages that we care about you because because that was like a loyalty play, but it felt yeah. inauthentic because I had been ignored mm-hmm. as a customer for the past three years. So it's looking at goals. Do we have sort of activity aligned with each of those goals? And then content aligned with the buyer's journey. What are we doing for awareness, for education, for comparison, for that purchase and onboarding stage? Mm-hmm. And then looking at campaign performance. Okay, now those specific things that we were trying to do, how is that working? And that might be tactical, right? What's performing the best? Is it events? Is it social media? So kind of looking at it at a campaign level. Also, I think in this is a stage where I like to look at, well, what are we doing for the rest? Do we know? Do we have answers to the rest of this? When is the last time we've done research? So are we doing customer research? Are we doing customer surveys? Are we having one-on-one conversations with, with the sales organization? How frequently is that happening? I find that marketers often don't budget for any research, which means they're learning about their customers by whatever they're finding on Google or through the sales team or the customer success team. Mm -hmm. But that's a very filtered view. And so you need to have kind of that neutral sort of third party, whether you're doing it yourself as a marketer or if you're hiring a research firm to do this research on your behalf, it just helps illuminate, wow, there's some insights and things that we might not have considered here. This stage, I also like to get seller feedback. How would you rate the marketing campaigns? Mm -hmm. How would you rate the usefulness of the content that we're producing? What are are things that we're missing? Because Mm -hmm. you get really good feedback from the sales team here. There are some other tools like winter is a good one for testing messaging. You can buy the audience or like survey monkey. You can buy your audience, which is, which could be made up of prospects, right? So you're kind of reaching and getting prospect feedback. Yeah. We had, we had Pep Lija on the show about two months ago from winter founder of winter. Yes. It's, yeah, it's good. A great tool. Yeah, product idea. <laughs> it is. It is because yeah, I think especially for marketers, like we talked about being so far removed from the customer, this is a yeah. step that they can control. The other thing is targeting. I find that you know, ideal customer profile. Do we all agree who we're going after? So sometimes you have the sales team that has their list of accounts, and then you have the marketing team who, by the way, have never seen that list of accounts, and they don't mm. know what the sales team is, who they're targeting, or who they're prioritizing, and so you have a mismatch. Marketing's creating content for one audience. Sales, meanwhile, is creating content for a different audience and nobody agrees. So that's the targeting phase. And then value proposition, we can go into a whole separate episode on how to create your value proposition. That was the first book that I helped co-write. It was called Valueology. And that was all about how do you align your marketing and sales team with the customer to create and communicate value. And this is interesting because as we just talked about, there's typically a disconnect between what customers will say is the value of your product versus internally what you believe it is. And I have found doing enough of these interviews with customers and with the sales team, 
there's typically the sales team is very is looking very specifically deep down at the product level. You know, the customer is going to say how our product is better and how we help with their productivity in this one specific thing. And the customer, on the other hand, is like this technology and this thing that I bought from them is one thing of 50 that I use to do my job. Mm -hmm. And the reality is I don't really think about that product. And if I do think about it, it's in terms of some big picture thing that I'm able to get done in my job. And so there's always sort of this mismatch. Yeah, that's Um, an interesting insight. Yeah. Step five is all about content planning. So, you know, this is, do you have a written content plan? Do you have activities aligned to that buyer's journey that we just talked about? And most of the time, and and is everybody in agreement? And how are you actually, you know, developing this content? Mm -hmm. And then finally is goals and tactics. So this is, is really, you know, getting very clear on what are the marketing goals? What are those specific tactics and how are you going to execute those? So, you know, before saying, Hey, we're going to go create a piece of thought leadership. Do we actually have experts on staff? What what are we going to need to be successful there? Do we need writers? Do we need editors? Do we need to hire a subject matter expert? And so it's, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people just don't think through like, what will it take from a resource standpoint to be successful in execution? That's kind of Mm -hmm. what this stage is. And then finally, then you get to the, to the execute stage and tracking your progress. And I have an eighth step that's kind of like a bonus one, which is how do you then communicate all of this and get alignment internally so that it's not marketing is doing their thing in a silo, but then they're communicating Mm -hmm. and they share quarterly dashboards and they're looping in the right people so that everybody knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So when I say skipping steps, I mean, that's, you know, typically Mm -hmm. I can go back to identify like, okay, well, you skipped research, you skipped this, you loosely did this, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, and then you're wondering why your marketing's not working it's because you've skipped a whole bunch of steps. Yeah. I tend to believe that a lot of cases, especially in the SaaS world, because of the short-term pressure that everyone is under to grow, that growth pressure can come from founders, it can come from investors, but they want to see marketing dollars very quickly translated to sales and ROI. And so yep. I think the default way of thinking, let's get this budget and let's, let's start executing and how fast can we see the results? Because we're not really going to start the work. I uh, totally agree about the you, you can't just leapfrog to execution because then you will fail and then have to backtrack anyway back to steps one through six. Yeah, and, and exactly. And I would just say we can skip. Sure, we can go ahead and start executing today, but it's not going to work because we've skipped all this stuff because you don't actually know who you're talking to because you don't actually know what your value proposition is, right? And so getting them to see that it's really about about them. And then I think, you know, what I tell people is like, keep executing the stuff that you're doing. This is not suggesting stop all marketing while you go, you know, do this for 60 days. This is keep doing what you're doing and you're eventually going to find that you're going to be able to to stop or kill a whole bunch of projects because they're just not working and they don't actually align once you start digging into this. And once you learn this about your customers, you can't, go back to doing things the way you were doing because it just feels naive and one-sided, right? Mm-hmm. And that it's like, this is never going to work and it's never going to resonate. I like to look at this from the customer lens. Like, what do we actually know about our customers? And are we just being naive or are we really being thoughtful? Yeah, that's great. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. 
and you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Stacy, I'd like to transition now into mindset. And I'd like to talk about the mindset of a successful marketer and also how marketers can emerge as leaders with a unique mindset as opposed to following the herd. I think we can agree it's easy to follow the jargon. It's easy to follow the tried and true methods. And a lot of people can have relatively safe and successful careers in marketing by doing that. But what do you mean when you say that it's critical to establish a mindset? What mindset are you talking about? Yeah. So I mean, if you think of like, what does it take to be a successful marketer? We actually did some research in this and we, this was for our book, Standout Marketing. And we came up with five key competencies. And there's a few things. It's like, how do you put yourself sort of in the shoes of that marketer? But it starts with what is the job of a marketer? And from our point of view, it's to create and help communicate customer value. Uncover, create, communicate customer value. And based on our research, we did 50 interviews with business marketing and sales leaders across the US and the UK. And we found that there were five key competencies which make up the acronym value because we're so strongly believe that that's the job of the marketers. The first is it's V for visionary. And this is the ability to have foresight and to see what is going on beyond just sort of that day to day. These are people that are looking long term. These are people looking at market trends that understand competitor trends. And these were, if you think of like back in the early pandemic days, these were companies that had very strong visionaries. They were the ones that left first, right? And made changes to products, made changes to the homepage of their website. They were the first to get us those, we care about you emails that I referenced earlier. And so having people, whether that's you as the marketer or that you are running a marketing team, that you need to have somebody that's looking ahead and can think in that way. The Mm -hmm. A is activator. Now, marketers typically rate themselves very high on activation, which is the ability to get things done. And, you know, marketers are known for having very long to-do lists, for juggling a lot of projects, for getting things moving ahead. But the other aspect of being an activator is buy-in. And it's collaborating and working with your sales team, with your executive team, with the product team, with the customer service team. Everybody is kind of aligned and, and moving toward the same finish line. And so a big aspect of Activator is setting the vision and then getting people to follow toward that. The L is learner. So this is a big mindset one for for marketers. And and everybody obviously listening here today is kind of taking time to learn. And so, you know, one of the barriers that we hear for marketers is I just don't have time to learn. My list is so long of things that I have to do that I'm not taking time to learn. And I've seen personally executives and some of my peers work themselves out of a job because they stopped focusing on the learning. And it's not just learning about their job, right? And all, I mean, think of all the, you've seen the MarTech landscape, you know, visual. It's like every day there's a new technology and something that we have to learn, but also keeping a pulse on your customers, right? And so what's happening with my customers and we're making all these assumptions and when's the last time we validate any of these assumptions. And if they're no longer true, then it's, you know, that what happens is you start to lose credibility internally. And so then the U is usefulness, which is really the ability to connect the dots from what your company sells to what the customer cares about. And that you're not just creating content or programs or campaigns or offers because your executive told you to, or because you're under pressure to do so, but that you're really look constantly looking at it from the customer lens. And is this useful? Is this relevant? Is this useful? Is this relevant? I mean, we are all inundated with content these days. And I think 
a lot of it is because nobody's looking at this usefulness piece. They're just creating mm-hmm. stuff because they were told to do so. And I think there's this huge opportunity for, and I saw some Gartner research that, that talks about how complex the buying process is and how many pieces of content that people are reviewing. And I think there's this huge opportunity for marketers to remember what, put yourself in the customer's shoes and pretend like you're buying the solution that you're selling and go compare your content and your website and your articles to what your competitors are producing and see how confused you are at the end of this. And Mm. are you getting conflicting advice? And if so, that's an opportunity to help explain and educate your customers and maybe curate the best content that says, hey, I know you're going to do your own research, but let me just help shortcut the process for you and tell you exactly what you're going to find. You're Mm. going to see this guide and this thing. And right. I don't think anybody's doing that well right now. I think it's a massive opportunity for somebody to step in and and help with that. Mm. And then finally, the E is evaluator. And this is looking at your programs, right? And having sort of that analytical view of, is our program working or not? Are we just executing stuff because the sales team or the executive team asked us to? Or is somebody truly objectively looking at the results and being able to tie those back to whether or not we're meeting business goals? We talked about how this ties into revenue and what impact really is marketing making. And having really the political savviness here to be able to say no. Because, you know, a lot of times it's something that, you know, I hear from marketers that I feel like an order taker because somebody's coming to me requesting something and I don't know that I can necessarily say no. And having the data and, you know, these evaluation skill sets helps you to be able to position yourself to say no to bad ideas, right? And suggest something else alternatively because you know what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Stacey. That's a great framework. So I just want to recap for our listeners, the value competency framework, it's all about a mindset. The V is for visionary. The A is for activator. The L is for learning, U is for usefulness, and E is for evaluator. That's great. Yeah. Let's transition again to C-level stuff. CEOs and CMOs. And you have a theory that also I believe that you cover in the book that CEOs have specific expectations of their marketing team. How can the CMO who is reporting to the CEO make that magic happen? Yeah. So I think a big thing here is I'm a big fan of internal marketing. So I would, mm-hmm. you know, look at your C-suite and treat them like a customer. Yeah. So kind of do a buyer persona almost of what that person cares about. So you're going to find that the CFO, you know, every time that you talk, it's all about numbers and spreadsheets and they want to know, you know, budgets and how things are performing. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, one piece of advice I give to marketers is find somebody on the finance team that you can meet with that can help explain kind of what the CFO cares about and what are the those big metrics that you should be tracking. Because if you can put your budget and your program in the lens of what the CFO cares about, then you're more likely to get approval for what you need. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the CEO. The CEO, like understanding what is it that they really want to achieve. And if it's, you know, fast growth, I mean, all of them are growth oriented, but there's different mm-hmm. ways to achieve growth, right? And if you can think like the business, that's the biggest thing here is, you know, are you reading your annual reports? Do you understand how to read a financial statement? Do you understand what the what your business is really trying to achieve and what the priorities are? Mm-hmm. Because marketing is like one little piece of that puzzle in a bigger goal. And so if you can position your programs based on what the business cares about, then that helps. That's really what your CEO wants. So two things that basically the CEO wants. Number one, help me grow the business. Help me feel confident that you know what you're doing when you're spending our money to grow the business. Mm-hmm. And so like it's assumed that you understand how to speak business, right? And so if you don't, like that's where I would start. Understanding Mm -hmm. revenue targets, understanding how your business performance is measured, understanding profitability by customer segments. Are there certain customers that are more profitable or certain products that are more profitable and why? 
right? Understanding all of that just helps you position your marketing in a way that the CEO understands. And the second thing is that the CEO expects the marketer to be the voice of the customer internally. And so think about when you're sitting at the table and everybody's throwing around their opinions because everybody's a marketer, we know, so they all have opinions. And it's the marketer's job to say, well, that's all interesting product team and interesting sales team and interesting of everybody else. But let's just look at what the customer said. Here's what we know about our customers. And constantly reminding people about why you're doing something, which is to get customers. Somebody has to be the reminder in the room and the voice of the customer. Nobody else really is positioned to do that longer term and broadly like the, the marketing team. So I've seen personally for myself and for my clients, credibility goes way up when the marketers come and can re represent, here's real research we did. And here's what our customer said. And this is why this is a bad idea. And this is why we should be focused here and not here. And all of a sudden, yeah, everybody has confidence. Class. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and it's a reminder that guys, everybody's, this was all just a bunch of opinions, but let's look at the opinion that matters, the customers. Yeah. So I think that's, those are kind of really the two big things. And then one that we talked about earlier, which is understanding how your role is perceived internally. You know, because marketing has created all these factions under marketing, you have different perceptions mm -hmm. of marketing. So you have some CEOs that, that think marketing is all about brand and go build the brand. You have some that think marketing is all about execution and they just maintain the website and the social media, right? Some of them think it's marketing is sales enablement and you just go help support the sales team and create sales collateral to help the sales team. Mm -hmm. But I think I would, you know, starting there to really understand perception is reality and you may think that I'm in a strategic marketing role and everybody views me as the marketing strategy person, but internally they may not have that same level of even understanding what marketing strategy is, right? So those are kind of the three three ways to help position yourself better and earn more credibility. Great. Stacy. as we wrap up, I'd like to know more about the SOAR Marketing Society. This is a private community for B2B marketers that want to elevate their skills and impact in careers. We spoke about in the value framework, the L is for learning. Can you just tell our audience a little yes. bit more about what is SOAR Marketing Society? Yeah, so SOAR Marketing Society, it's uh, soarmarketing.club forward slash SOAR, S-O-A-R. And we started this specifically for B2B marketers because we didn't find that there was really a place holistically for B2B marketers. I found some communities that are, if you're marketing and sales, or if you're in a small company, or if you're on a client side versus a agency side, but we wanted to have an inclusive community because I think that we can all learn from each other. So this includes both corporate marketers, as well as agency marketers, consultants, authors, and the whole purpose and mission of the society is to help elevate B2B marketers, mm -hmm. elevate their impact, elevate their confidence, elevate their credibility. And we do that through, it's hosted on a platform called Mighty Network. So it's private. It's not within LinkedIn. So you can have private conversations. And then we host twice monthly events that are all aimed at kind of learning and helping marketers think and act more strategically so that they can earn a seat at the table and get out of that order taking mode that a lot of an overwhelm of, you know, too many priorities and too much stuff to do, because it's really about, you know, quality and connecting with customers versus this sort of mass quantity environment mm -hmm. that we're in today. <laughs> that was a, that's really a great initiative and, and a great idea. Well, yes. So it's free to join. So yes, would love for, for you guys to join. Yeah. That, I'll just repeat that website. It's SOAR, S-O-A-R, soarmarketing.club slash SOAR. Well, Stacy, this awesome. has been fantastic. Really, you have got so much going on with the books and these very helpful frameworks. Was there something that I didn't ask you that you wished I would have asked you? Or is there anything else that you feel our audience could benefit from? No, I think we, we covered a lot. I could talk about marketing all day. So... <laughs> 
Yes, I think this is great. So happy to answer any questions. Connect with me on LinkedIn and mm -hmm. yeah, anything that you want to dive deeper into, I'm happy to further chat because it's a near and dear subject to my heart. Great. Thank you so much for being with me today, Stacey. It was a great conversation. You all can find Stacey on LinkedIn, Stacey Danheiser, and wish you all the best, Stacey. Look forward to keeping all right, in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.